Bison Men and Ohio is on fire. The track is back in my life. It's back on the show. I couldn't be more happier. For a 200th time, this is the show where Ohio froze down. Ohio is on fire. And I am the host, Daniel Diesel. I've always been the host. I still am. I'm still here. And on tonight's episode of Ohio's on Fire, the podcast, I have an exclusive interview with Sadbox. They are a band coming out of Dayton, Ohio. It's four individuals who've done a lot of stuff by themselves in the area. They got together to make a, their debut album this past summer. And of course, after that interview, I will have OMVP, which is OHMVP, Ohio's Most Valuable Pedestrian. And I have a very special one to celebrate the occasion. And then after OMVP, I will share my thoughts about what I've done the past 200 episodes what I would like to accomplish in the next 100 episodes. As I, make my, as I make my way to 300 episodes, I'd like to think I'll make it that far. I, I think I will. You never know. But I got my goals. But right now, let's get the celebration going. From their debut album, The Magic Nothing, here's Sadbox in their track, Carry It Close.
Hi there, Kathy Leggett from DATV. Make sure you check us out on Time Warner Channel 5, 6, and 23, Sundays at 12 noon, Tuesdays at 9 p.m. See you at the next show. Welcome to Proto Build Bar here in Dayton, Ohio. This is the second 100th episode of Ohio's on Fire, and I've done this a lot, and I got a really cool band to help me celebrate this episode. They are a new band in the area, but it's made up, it's a collection of four really good people. They're really talented, and they're bringing their talents together for the first time. I have the band Sadbox. Of course, Sadbox includes Eli Albin, which I'm familiar with. I've talked to him before. And for the first time ever, I'm talking to Ryan Gowdy. And then we got Paul Levy and Raymond Owens. Yes, everyone is here. But thank you for being on my show. Thank you for having us. Congrats, man. Yes. Nice work, man. Yes, now this past June, you released your first ever album called The Magic Nothing. And I want to talk about the studio that you made this album from. It was Real Love Studios. And I've heard of that studio. It's based out of Dayton, Ohio. So I just want to learn about it. Did you you notice what equipment was used for Real Love Studios? And what stood out to you performing, making this album at Real Love Studios? Uh, You know, we ended up over there because... uh, Eli's had experience recording there with the draft. Yes. And, uh, you know, uh, it was recorded with Patrick Himes over there. It's his, it's his main uh, place. Uh, most of the stuff there, it's very varied, but it's a ton of... Eclectic. It's eclectic, and I think the other thing is a lot of it's very vintage He's got some modern stuff, for sure. Yeah. But you can get really anything from some of the modern equipment. But to me, the, the best thing is... The equipments, the instrumentation, all the keyboards, guitars, the rigs that he's got yeah. are just from like the heyday of the rock and roll era. Well, he's, he's got what, a, a Hammond B3 with a Leslie? Uh, yep. Vintage child's pianos. Oh, right. Like, you know, I, I expected Linus to pop out and start playing piano. <laughs> just, he's, he's got. Seven or he's got a little organs, bit full size li- A little bit of everything. Yeah. Like, oh. Oh, well, I'm not surprised. I thought you were going to blow up when you saw that beautiful Ampeg stack. Oh, I'm glad. you got your amp head tuned in. I get it, I get it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I was glad I was wearing loose-fitting pants, but (laughs) I like the way my rig sounds. Absolutely. And I didn't want to dial in just because, ooh, you know. He's got a lot of other stuff we didn't make use of, too. I mean, there's a lot of percussion things we used some of. Um, there's other stuff I think is really cool. You've got Theremin in there, which yes, I wish I'd have known that. I know. The, the best, I really wish I'd have known that at the time. The, the best thing about recording with Patrick is he makes it a very comfortable, yes. uh, casual experience. Fun. It's fun, uh, and he's got he's got the the tools to get the job done, and he's got the experience to to help guide us where we need it. And he, otherwise, uh, he just lets us. Uh, Go in there and uh, he's got a good sense of humor about the whole thing. He sounds like a smart guy. Yeah. Yeah, really hip and smart. Because I noticed that, because I got the information on this album, um, but this was mixed by Patrick Himes, and of course, it was all, he also produced the album, but of course, you guys helped him produce it. Um, other information, I noticed it was mastered by Alex McCallberg at Trueweiss, what's that? McCullough. McCullough, I'm sorry, I always get that wrong. At Trueweiss Mastering in Nashville, Tennessee. Of course, the artwork for the CD was Greg 
Tobias and Chris Wright, they did the CD artwork. So did you guys communicate with those guys? And how oh, was yeah. that like? Yeah, I, we got to meet with both of them. Um, Eli and I used to be neighbors, actually Ryan too, because he was yeah. on the street. Okay. Um, over in Belmont, like right next to Chris Wright, Eli was next to our neighbors with him. And, uh, you know, there's little snippets in the album, uh, some outdoor sounds, and, you know, cicadas, I think they're kind of like rock and roll monsters anyway. Man. You know, they make a ton of noise, and they're kind of like these little, like, noise tanks that just take over two months in the summer. Yeah, so, you know, of course. That was cool, because you can hear them in the opening of the album, right? The, All right. The track Carry It Close, that intro is... Uh, church bells and the dogs collar jingling and the kids like kind of hucking around. Yeah. You can also hear that. Oh boy! Hey, from the cicada side, I brought that to Chris and said, "Hey man, uh, here's like this seal logo, government logo looking thing I like kind of done up, but I, I didn't really <laughs> know a lot about how to get it kind of converted, looking good on vector art, so it would be scalable like onto a disc or onto a T-shirt or onto a sticker." Yes. I brought that up to Chris. And Chris kind of tore into that and really came up with a great product, I think, there, because his stuff appears both a little bit on the album, but also um, uh, some of the, the other stuff we have, like the merchandise. There's a t-shirt, the Cicada t-shirt we have, this uh, yeah. Chris Wright uh, artwork, and then the rest of the stuff is the Greg Tobias work on the album. We yes. talked. The idea that I had brought to him, Eli knew him really well and, and kind of had had him do some show posters for us, and I said, you know, Here's some of the themes from the album, you know, there's some bomber aircraft, radial engine sounds yeah. that we captured, and cicadas, and, uh, you know, I said, I would love to incorporate some of those, but kind of give it like this frenetic, you know, like Hieronymus Bosch treatment, you know, like this garden of earthly delights where like all these weird, heinous things are happening. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what he came up with for it. Yeah, Craig, yes. Craig, Greg's a local artist. He does work with uh, the Dark Backward, which we're friends with those guys as well. Yeah. And then Alex, um, from um, True East Mastering, he does. Uh, he's uh, Patrick's go-to uh, mastering guy. So yeah. we we just sent it down to them for for mastering. Absolutely, and I'm always the guy to say it's a small world after all because I think it's unique that you just live next doors. Do you still live next doors to Chris Wright, or no, did I still own the house, but I don't live. There but anymore. you did live next to him. You just happened to he just happens to do something that you do for a living, which. He does artwork. Is he want to become useful for your artwork? Well, well, well Belmont. Chris, Chris does all yeah. the artwork. Chris too. writes a pretty prolific dude around Dayton. Yeah. From a standpoint, and I know he does great guitar work. He'll he fixes guitars, and he's just uh, he's, he's, just, he's, he's, he's kind of a he's kind of every man around Dayton. If you need something music wise, Chris it's, is the guy to go to. It's just I couldn't find someone like that to save my life. He lived next door to someone like okay. that. I just find that cool. Belmont is pretty prolific for artists and musicians. Yeah, at yeah. one point in time, Chris Wright, Eli, Paul, and myself yeah. lived within walking distance of each other. Yeah, and I just like, I, could, I could walk down to the end of my driveway, look down the street, there's Eli's house. Yeah. I just found this out a couple of months ago when I pre-ordered some stff from Magnaphone. Yeah. Uh, Dan Stahl, Tim Pritchard's uh, label, and it's a great label, right? But I pre-ordered some albums, and they show up at my house, and it's got a street address that is four houses down from where I lived when I was in Belmont. All right. And I, I, like, I, I got a hold of Dan. I'm like, dude, you lived in that house? Like, I, I, I'm four houses down from you, man. Like, I, I never, I never knew you were there. He's like, well, yeah, I never come outside either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the guys yeah. from the lab partners live live really close to there, and and uh, actually, uh, Patrick lived on Kenmore for a while yep. too uh, when you were probably no there. kidding. Yeah, it's well, just uh, with wow. the Belmite, there's not a lot of. Uh, 
it's tough to to know who actually lives in the neighborhood. Yeah. And unless maybe uh, yeah, like it's just a lot of streets, a lot of houses. And like I didn't. Then, yeah, you just never know. Until I met Eli and he introduced me to Paul and was like, "Hey, you know, I know this guitar player. You, know, you want to jam?" And yeah, all right. And I think one night we went over there and had a good amount of fun. And I just I'm like I'm just gonna walk out. And it wasn't five minutes. Well, that's. Well, be happy because I have several drug addicts as my neighbors, so you could have that going for you. I'm, I'm envious. Well, 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 you Belmont's could, pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet place. Yeah, it sounds yeah. great. There's times I miss it. Oh, I miss One it day, there's ever a documentary. Yeah, well, we've had made, that conversation. There's ever a documentary made about the date music scene. They should probably start in Belmont and work their way out. I mean, really, when, when you think about it, I mean, in, in this time period. Yeah, in this time period. I mean, you know, when West you think about it, like yeah. maybe Sandbox is the one to make that documentary because it does sound like there's a story to be told about the Belmont area and its background on music and making arts. Um, but because I'm not your manager, you do what you guys want, but yeah, I mean, you guys know all well, about that's it. My filmmakers, yeah. Honestly, I have no most, most of my personal musical experiences have been in and directly around Belmont. Okay. That's where it started, and it just, cool. you know, went from Belmont, and then to Springfield, back to Belmont, yes. then to Belmont, and yeah. well, that cool. just seemed to be where the, the most amount of different artists, uh, guitar players, bass players, drummers, singers, all just sort of congregated in Belmont, and well, this is fascinating because I'm not from Belmont, so I don't know about history, but I, I've learned something today. It's crazy, guys. All right, Belmont. Bell, because you guys make music, I'm curious to know what music, what music do you guys listen to and how do you listen to it? I, I buy, uh, most of the music that I buy is local vinyl. Yeah. And then uh, I'll stream most, uh, most everything else through uh, iTunes. Okay. I Mostly the, digital, digital the, vinyl. Yeah, I do the, the membership, and but I try to support local artists. Yeah, and especially if they have a, a vinyl, I'll, I'll try to buy that. Cool, cool. My preferred medium until the last year or so, I've tried to stay as true as I possibly can to true over the air radio. I love yeah. it. Uh, and for a long time, uh, you could really do a killer job of that, and you yes. still can yeah. some. I mean, I use YSO. Uh, for a lot of daytime yeah. excursions is, is, is tuning me into some new cool stuff. The evening stuff is always different. And, yeah. you know, one night you're listening to, like, 80s hip-hop, and you're doing those <laughs> deep dives, you know. They, but that, that, that's that's yeah. my real jam is in curated uh, broadcast. Someone who knows more about this than me, right? So if I want to go down a deep dive in garage rock, they're still cool. you got, like, a jewel case on Thursdays. So that's yes. killer. You know, you got Kaleidoscope where you got local artists showcasing. That's Julia Fromholtz, yeah, so I'm Julia. friends with her. She's, she's got a fantastic show. Nick Isn't that who hosted us? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 You know, cool. like the jazz stuff that Duane Bedingfield does. It's great. Yeah. So the, I like curated stuff. And then in Cincinnati's WNKU shut down. To me, that was just such a kick in the teeth. I think When they know, shut down? It was about a year ago. Okay, I didn't know about this. A year, this. year and a half ago. I mean, it, 
Okay. They were 24-hour day curated local interest, curated music, and so, I mean, I can do playlists, and I still do. Social media is cool for that. Man. Yeah, they are. Check out somebody. Hey, here's a blog. Or here's a podcast. Or here's a playlist that they promote. I get a lot of my music that way. Yeah. But you know, over the air radio is harder now. Harder? What do you mean by that? Because there's less of it. You know, with WNKU shutting down, WNKU is the one that you can get over the air in this area. I think to elaborate on that, there's less independently owned stations because there's a lot of major companies that own multiple multiple stations. They do things their way. It's garbage. Well, clear channel and all that stuff. They're no longer longer clear channel. They're iHeartMedia. Yeah, they own like eight stations. Normally, my go-to radio station is uh, 104.7 TUE. Yeah, I like them, yeah. You know, and, and they're good, but... It's the same shit that they were buying 20 years ago. Yeah. I mean, and I like ACDC, and I tolerate Metallica, but I could almost set my watch by their playlist. I mean, like, uh, oh, I agree. it's 4.15, and 3, 2, 1, here comes Hell's Bells. Yep. Followed yeah. by this. It's almost, those stations used to be, there used to be local DJs working on all those stations. Yeah. It used to be tied to the community. Absolutely. used to be curated playlists, and now... They figured out what worked well in the 90s, and now it's just on auto. Yeah. And, and it's like, I'm, not, I'm not a big... A lot of satellite did, too. In satellite's early days, it was really cool. You had a, a content expert. Yes. And that content expert would create a show for you. There's like three or four channels that do that now, right? And, yeah, not a lot. But the rest of them were all just, hey, here's 600 songs, and go. Put on a shuffle. Walk away. Yeah. For, for me, I do, uh, you know, I have, I have Spotify, so a lot of times... Um, I'll get what I need from Spotify. Like if I, if I yeah. really, like for example, like the Black Keys. I, oh yeah, they're great. I wanted yeah. to listen to them, yeah. so I just grabbed everything they ever made from Spotify. But I also like, like I have satellite radio. And yeah. Honestly, I have it because I want Lithium Channel Thirty Four. Absolutely. Is like, no, yeah. Which is like my my jam. Like yeah. My nineties stuff, my Pearl Jam, my oh, Chains, my Soundgarden. Yeah. And then, um, but I also still like, I'm hanging on to CDs. Like I'm the only one in the world that has them anymore. I mean, no, I no, still no, do. No, no. I have my I CDs. Still do CDs. I buy them at every show. I still have three good-sized boxes of cassette tapes. Yeah. And the sad thing is, is most of them, I'm like, I wish I'd have wrote something on this. Because they're copies, and, you know, I was probably like, you know, stoned. And I'm like, I'm going to do this. And yeah. throw it in the car, and then I'm like, and what the hell's on this thing? But, and of course, I still have the good old... Classic, not the iPod Touch, the old iPod, 160 gigabytes. I can put wow. as much music as I want to on there, and I'm, I'm up to like, one still. Yeah, I'm up to like 12,000 songs in my in my iPod. So I have an know, iPod. I try to I try to I try to get my my music from all kinds of different formats. So just yeah, whatever is easiest at the time when I think about. It. Once again, from the Magic Nuffin, here's Sadbox and their track "Flows Like Water." Stay tuned for more of the interview.
someone last year he said that um, when it comes to music that you hear on top 40 radio it's faster and it's louder he thinks that it's just going to continue that way when it comes to mainstream and we're gonna have something called outer space music where the voices are distorted and everything's fast it just sounds weird and th this guy I talked to he thinks that's where music is heading mainstream rise but I want to know from a band like Sadbox what do you think is going to happen in 2020 well the whole decade when it comes to music making well, when it comes to the space music and faster and distorted vocals, didn't ministry already do that? I think so. <laughs> I mean, it's... <laughs> and that, yeah, and that was 20 years ago. <laughs> it seems, it, he was ahead of his time. It seems like almost everything is that can be done has been done. Yeah. And that it's just going to continue to, as the population grows, the amount of people that are playing music yeah. in their regional environments are going to increase. Yeah. And there's just going to be more people doing more more music yeah. uh, as we because it's you know it's easy to it's accessible to put out a record you know like like, yeah. like four of us four guys who have families and kids and yeah. you know we're able to, to put out records and play shows and yes and, I mean, and it's a little oh. harder a little higher barrier to entry uh, previously before the advent of uh, digital uh, recording yeah that wasn't trying to cut you off I mean and I I've I personally found a lot of very interesting and eclectic artists on YouTube. 
that just record a video with fantastic sound. Yes. You know, um, one of which he comes out of Australia, Xavier Rudd. Okay. That dude's fantastic. He's a one-man show. The guitar, uh, Kajong, didgeridoo. Yeah. It's it's something. It's a check it out. All right. I, I think you're going to see a tremendous amount of that. I think you're going to see a ton of fragmentation, but also because of the accessibility of different things. You're, Mainstream stuff, I'm not sure, is going to see a ton of evolution throughout the decade. Yeah. Um, I don't know that you saw a ton of evolution throughout the previous decade. Yeah. I, I, you know, you see a ton of what's uh, what's old is new again stuff that happens, and I would yeah. not be shocked that you see a resurgence of some of the popularized art forms of the late 20th century as those people start to come to age and become parents again. It happened for us. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the Atari was cool again. Hey, here's a reissue of all these Atari games. <laughs> Hey, man, here's Velcro shoes again for everybody, and I also think there's going to be a big push against this whole, hey, you know, what'd you do last weekend? Man, I binged on Netflix for 18 hours and fell asleep. You're going to see some degree of resurgence against that, because I think there's going to be a whole generation of people that realize, oh my gosh, man, I spent a decade of my life totally disengaged from the people, the community, and the things around me yeah. while life was happening, and I was watching this product that was made. I wouldn't be shocked if you start to see people start to reinvest in that local. Um, yeah. And it's crazy to me that you see these world-class productions that are attended by 100 people. Yeah, very people. Few, yeah, very that's, people. It's crazy, and it would never have happened when you needed to get live entertainment. In the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, yeah. when you needed weekend entertainment, you left your house. Yeah, of and course. there was a band and everything. And, and you still see the festivals are killing out, right? They, yeah, There's they still they live well. music at all the festivals. Um, I think you're going to see uh, some degree of improved investment in that local infrastructure. I agree with that. Yeah. I think there'll be a need, there'll be a need for that because there'll be people's going to get tired of watching you. You said it perfectly. Netflix that can be popular for so long. For someone wants the next thing, next thing would be to get away from it, go out in the world, go on adventures. Which is why I know it's unrelated to what we were talking about. But I think bicycling is going to improve it in the 2020s because I go. I, I like the mountain bike sometimes. I notice it's not really crowded except for when I do marathons. But that's like in major cities, like in Colorado, where bicycling is already popular. I think bicycling is going to be popular all around the country. So that's just, so I'm going off topic, but I, yeah, things are going to make a comeback. Well, that's a real tangible thing, right? Like, yeah, tangible. You have to get your body and your mind on a bike and pay attention to a thing that's you do happening it. in front of you. Yeah. There's a place down here, here in Dayton on First Street. It's called Mike's Bikes. It's a completely indoor it is. thing. And I know... Get on my mind still says, "Oh, you can do this." We could probably play. There's some bands, you know, and you know. I know the next day I would pay for it severely, but I wouldn't fun while you did. Well, oh, absolutely. Train. You have to train your body and you get used yeah. to it. Oh, I'd go out there and be like, you know, I'm still 14, okay. and I would do dumb stuff and I'd pay for it the next day. But you know what? I can say, you know what? I did it. <laughs> for me, as far as to kind of veer back to the original question. You know, when when, you, when I think about when I was, you know, I really started listening to music, like, in the 80s. And I just remember, like, going through all my dad's records at the time, you know, vinyl and stuff. And, yeah. You know, you'd see, like, you know, you could have eight albums out, and all eight of those albums from different record companies. Yeah. You know, RCA yeah. or Sony or, you yeah. know, name one. You know, what's the one with the little, dog, little dog by the, RCA. By, the, by the phonograph, whatever, you know. Yeah. And so now, it's like, I couldn't tell you a record company. 
Yeah. You know, I don't even know what's around anymore. I know that I know that because of like Eli was touching on earlier. You know, the accessibility of you know, here's some digital tracks and we throw them on SoundCloud and we put them on Spotify or yeah. whatever it might be. And so, um, you know, so Eli's talking about you know how you know it's, it's going to or I'm sorry, Paul. You know that people are going to want to start going out and doing things again. I would actually say, for me, you know. I think a lot of people are going to just, hey, I have all this stuff on Spotify, why waste my time? Yeah. I mean, it, for me and, and, the, and the people I deal with, the people I see, the people I talk to, it's like, I'm not going to spend, you know, this ungodly amount of money on, on, on a Foo Fighters ticket. Yeah. I'll just go see them at a festival, you know, or I'll, go, or I'll just listen to them on Spotify or watch them on YouTube. Because yeah. everybody, everybody puts it on their phone now anyway and puts yeah. it on YouTube. Everything's so, I mean, for me... And I, I'm not down with that. I think the live experience, like to go see like the Foo Fighters or Pearl Jam, or I'm about to go see Tool in November. I'm super excited about it because yeah. it's Tool. <laughs> you have down in Cincinnati. You have to see them. You have to see them. Yes. So for me, it's just I think we've almost shot ourselves in the foot as a, as a society when it comes to music. Yeah. Because we've made it so accessible. Yeah. Like I can I can tell you, you know, I remember going down in 1994 95. And going to wait on Vitology. Yeah. By program. Because I knew everything comes out on Tuesdays. Yeah. You know, everything comes out on Tuesdays. Yeah. All right, so let, me, let me issue and you so, just a non argumentative, but a, just a, a, a corollary that I would love to hear your thoughts on, which is you know, you got Game Tracker and you've got ESPN Live updates on your phone and all that stuff, and people still go out and actually pay ticketed prices to go to sporting events. Mm -hmm. and those ticket prices are ratcheting up. Right. And everyone is furious that you have athletes that are paid $100 million a year and they get $100 million in endorsements on top of it and you have billionaire athletes. People are still paying tickets. They're right. still doing it. Right. Um, I think, yes, they have a product there. Not everyone's going to go to a concert. I mean, you know, they don't care. Not everyone's going to go to an NASCAR race. You know, but for right. the people who are purchasing or consuming music, right, it's a targeted audience. Why would improved access and ownership, right? People own their labels now. It used to be you hope to get signed. Right. There's more labels in existence now than there have ever been in this country. And right. it's because of idiots like us. <laughs> who own a lousy little label with a single record on it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever. But if you own your publisher, nobody right. can extort you. Right. I think that's great. That, I mean, the corollary to that is, yes, music is getting into your hands and it's we're not getting into a ton of people you know whatever 150 streams in a week and you know, a few physical copies that are out there but those are people I mean, when, when you look at that silly list that we have we've got I don't know, 130 downloads in India 400 in like, Japan I don't know anyone there I don't know a single person in India right now we've got 70 downloads in, in, yeah. in, in Croatia you know Slovakia that's, I, I, don't, I don't know anyone in these places. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, I see what you're saying. So I mean, yeah. it gets that out there, and then you can still get people to engage in a local or a regional capacity. Yeah, I'm, I'm cool. Yeah. Because, again, nobody's extorting it. Nobody said, hey, you got some talent. By the way, the record company gets half because that's the way distribution works, bruh. Have a nice day. Yeah. You know, I, guess it, I guess it really depends on what you want from music, right? I mean, if you want to get rich from music, there's a different way to go than the way we're going. Right, we're we're just happy to play some shows, you know. Maybe if three or four people who've never been to the show before show up and like us, then I think we've done our job as a band, right? They right, but I still think enjoying the night. So I mean, I guess it really depends on what you want. Because there's some people that would that are perfectly fine paying five bucks to watch Dayton Dragons, but 
they don't want to go down to Cincinnati and watch them because they're, they're, they're much more like low key with this versus that. So, yeah. I mean, I think there's, yeah. that, well, I think that's the thing. Like, you're, you're, you can go five bucks to pay, pay five bucks to see the Dayton Dragons and then spend nine fifty on a beer. <laughs> or go down and watch a local band for a five dollar cover. Yeah. And a three fifty beer. Dollars cans of PR. You know, yeah, yeah. and it depends on the beer. You I'm just saying. Yeah. Alright, guys, I wanna to talk to you about this album you guys made. It's called The Magic of Nothing. So I wanna know some highlights. Like who came up with the concept of this album? How did the conversation go for this album? Well, we uh, I should start with I, I going back to our previous conversation. I am not from Belmont. I yeah. only actually only got to Ohio in 2013. Yeah. And so I actually happened to me and me and Eli have mutual friend, a mutual friend, and he introduced me to Eli. And from what I understand, apparently here in Dayton, there is a uh, there is a um, a short reserve of drummers. Oh yeah, of course. Because <laughs> some 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 drummers I know are two, three, four bands deep. Yeah. And so uh, Eli mentioned to me we have this we have this project. You know, this guy named Paul. We, and Ryan hadn't been on yet, but he had an idea that Ryan might want to play. So um, a lot of the stuff that's all the magic nothing is a lot of stuff that Eli and Paul played together in a band called Sundowning years ago. Oh okay. And um, a lot of well, the other stuff. Let me let me stop there. Uh, we had never really done much with it, and some of it even predates Sundowning. Um, uh, the only two that we'd ever poked around with are Sundowning, Broken Sandal, and Good Things Come. And even then, they were not things that we, I would say were like mainstays of what we were doing. They, they did get done, but those two even predate that. Didn't we used to jam Good Things Come in your basement? Yes, we did. Yeah. Yes, we did. Then that was back to like 2006. And yeah, me and Eli and Paul would play together, and it would just be like... Never out. Never formally. No, it was just, just like, you know, hey, we all have some time. You, you want to jam, drink some beer? Yeah. And then we'd get down there and then, like, just rotate instruments. Okay, here, you play this, you play this. And, you know, that was, you know, what it was for a good while. So I found, you, I found a drummer. Paul was ready to get back into it. I was playing out with the 1984 draft. Yes. Paul was like, man, this looks like so much fun. I found Ray. I said, Ray, he said, you may want to get back into playing drums. I said, great. Might have a project for you. Yeah. A couple months later, we got together, started playing in Ray's house. And I want to ask Paul something, because I know um, I was, we were talking earlier that you did do music. Of course, you stopped to raise your family for a while. And that's understandable. How long was it? How long was it difficult that you have for music until you started doing this project with Sadbox? It was a 10 year hiatus. 10 years? I, I was pretty in depth. Uh, from high school, I played in a, I, I think, for a high school band, a successful version of a high school band. And you were Man. playing university campuses the year that we all went to school Man. and college. And then, um, you know, I went to grad school. I played in uh, a couple of bands when I was in grad school. I played in college bands the whole time I was in there. Um, and then came here and, and met Eli and played in the Sundowning project, and we did that okay. for you know a year, year and a half. Uh, but then you know, the floor dropped out. I had no uh, protections of my time for a good chunk of time. Yeah. The job stuff I was doing from 2008 to 2013 was anywhere from you know uh, 90 to 100 hour a week work requirements. Maybe a good week was 60 to 65. Yeah. I didn't leave a ton of time. A lot of nights, a lot of weekends, and so it made music pretty tough. And then, you know, a handful of open mics and stuff like that throughout that time period, but very little. 
yeah. basement jams. That's when you know all yeah. three of us would hang out together and yes. kind of jam some of these. And they were they out. were impromptu last minute. Hey, we got some time. <laughs> exactly. It was Saturday night randomness. Yeah. Okay. And then you know, um, for 2012, I had a couple of kids. In 2015, I had two more, and it became really tough. And it finally got to a point where I had, uh, you know, no children in diapers, and, and, okay. and it, became, it became realistic again in 2017. Start poking around at it. That's amazing. It sounds like you're really good at it, Mike. You're a great music maker. I, I, it really, it it. it it burned. It was a terrible sensation. It was like a withdrawal, you know. That, you know, if you're a musician or you're an artist, and it's a chunk of your life to not be able to do that, and, you know, when it was, it was a giant chunk of my life, and now again, it's a giant chunk. And I feel, I, I feel I, your pain, I, man. I identify through it, you know. Like that's a big piece of me, and to have that gone sucked. But I think a lot of us have dealt with that at some point. You know, uh, I know Ryan was out for a while, and Ray was out for a really good chunk. Of well, time. I had to, well, we all I had, had to. I had to stop playing because I actually. My right wrist, I tore a tendon. Oh crap! So, so I had to get like major like tendon repair surgery. Man. And so it, it actually when when you if, if you were to go back 15 years and watch me play drums in versus now, completely different because I can't play it that way. Because otherwise my wrist will. Be you had to relearn the drum. Yeah, my wrist will be on fire for like three months. Oh. Like that. So I kind of had to change everything around. So so when Eli approached me, I, I think I just gotten done with surgery and physical therapy and everything. And right. It was kind of like. Him and hauling about if I wanted to do or not, you know. Yeah. And then Eli was like, "We're not that loud. It's fine." So <laughs> he said something to that effect. So I was like, "Oh, I'll play then," you know. And so for me, it was it was a, it wasn't because I wanted to. I had yeah. to. So which makes it kind of even. I mean, nobody ever. I don't think everybody ever like wants to take a break from something they love to do. Yeah. But for me, it was like, yeah, I had to. I didn't know how I'd be yeah. playing again. So it was kind of weird. It was kind of challenging. Yeah, I, I had a break, and I I kept telling myself, it's nice not to be having to go to shows and practice. And then I was approached and realized, yeah, I guess I missed this more than what I thought. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah until you stop and start doing it again and realize, oh, wow. Yeah, you mentioned you had that deep burn just to do something, but you couldn't do it. And now you can. I do relate to that as well. And I think most people can relate to that. If you have a creative focus, yeah. right, and it's something that you invest in, you, you almost immediately, I think, can tell somebody who's an artist, and I don't care what your medium is, right? yeah, absolutely. if you're visual, if you're performing, if you're a recording artist, if you do, you know, tap dancing. When something happens to you, it's either really good, really bad, tragic, something with emotional content, and the first place that you want to take that is to your artistic endeavor, yeah. you're an artist. Absolutely. Like, it doesn't really matter. Like, if you, even if you don't like, take that as for whatever it is. That's how you recognize an artist, right? Yes. Somebody has a massive event in their life. Somebody dies. You have to move. Something terrible happens. You break up. A massive yeah. betrayal has occurred to you, and immediately yes. that's internalized and somehow becomes a product of your imagination. Uh-huh. Hey, man, you're an artist. You don't need to tell me anything else. Absolutely. But, like to not have that, right? If that coping mechanism's a thing for you, and now it's gone, you're gonna get mentally twisted over. Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and plug your guys' websites. Um, For anyone that's interested in Sadbox, you can find them at um, sadboxrocks.bandcamp.com slash album slash the Magic Nuffin. Their entire album of the Magic Nuffin is available to be streamed right now. You can listen to the whole album. Of course, there's also www.facebook.com slash sadboxrocks, and they post events and pictures, all the fun stuff you guys do. And So if you want to see Sadbox in concert, 
Um, they'll post news from there. And I just want to ask you guys, um, what can we expect from your band in the future, moving forward, the rest of this year, and anywhere down the road? We have an album that's about halfway done. Also, oh, second album, a follow-up. Yep. Okay. Yeah, this one's very cool. Um, Patrick is still very much involved in it, and is a co. Engineer producer with Phil Nehoffy of Cybertechnics Creative Recording. Yeah. Uh, the other big house of, of, of production that's still in the kind of the downtown area yeah. here. Um, also similar, very much, you know, like a vintagey thing. Phil's yeah. done 3,000, 3,500 albums, somewhere in that neighborhood. I mean, yeah. a ton of albums, a lot of big names. He's got some really cool equipment. And, and, and um, so we even had help from another uh, local musician. David Payne from New Old Fashioned came him. in and did a whole bunch of stuff with us on that. Not only some recording, but also was kind of uh, an assistant in the production of it. Five songs are done on it. We don't know how many it'll end up being. I think we've got another five or six pretty much close to being ready to record. So I don't know, hopefully 2020 will have a release from us. 2020 or 2021, definitely. Absolutely. And I was speaking of a small world, David Payne, I went to school with him. Did you? Yes, I've known him since seventh grade. Now, yeah, Zena High School. We don't like talk much or stuff, but we know each other. Like you see him, he sees see me in the halls, I'd see him in the halls, but that's it. But yeah, so I, I've known him for years. And I know that he makes music. And he, he's, yeah, their band is great. He'll, the new old fashioned. So that's, um, all right, so we can expect an album from you guys, either 2020 or 2021. Is there anything, how fast we get in there, yeah. Well, you, gotta like do, you just got to get it done. Is there anything else you guys would love to add before we end our time together uh, today? Just let me, um, also, if you don't lose the Facebook anymore, because apparently cool kids don't use that anymore. Yeah. An Instagram page, that's at, at Sadbox Rocks, and Sadbox6 on Twitter. So yes. apparently those are the those are the two big ones. Are TikTok and, uh, and Snapchat. And Snapchat and TikTok will be coming around the corner here soon. Yeah, exactly. The Facebook. The, the, the Facebook. <laughs> yeah, they should do a retro and call it the Facebook. <laughs> Ohio State patented that. They they they, well, they, they tried. They tried. They, they tried. tried. They, they, they the, uh, well, that's awesome. Well, the the. the. Well, that's all I have, but Sadbox has been great. Of course, once again, Sadbox comprises of Eli, Ryan, Paul, and Raymond. All four are here. And it's not often I get the whole band to come, but I was four for four. And I'll, you're on my bucket list. I have a really long bucket list of things I need to do based on the people I've talked to. So I need to see you guys in concert. Either it be this year or perhaps two years from now when you, your new album comes out. So you're on my list. It's, right. it's a good list. October 11th is the next time you can see us. All right. Well, thank people are listening at home. Yes, on the Ohio's on Fire podcast. <laughs> well, thank you, the sad box. All right. <laughs> the All magic right. nothing. There you go. It's now time for everyone's favorite segment. It is now time for OH MVP. That is Ohio's most valuable pedestrian. Do, 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 do. And to celebrate this occasion... Since this is a 200th episode of Ohio is on Fire, I know exactly who I'm going to give this to. This was actually pretty easy for me this time around. Um, as you know, I'm in the broadcasting industry. I've been studying the field and been involved with it from a lot of my young adult life. And there's been some historic figures and some great personalities that I have studied along the way and listened to that helped shape my career and how I approach things. There's one man in Ohio, he's... A, Truly legendary voice in his industry, 
and Pharrell, anyone that's ever listened to them throughout their childhoods. But just recently, ending the 46-year career, Marty Brenneman retired as the Cincinnati Reds radio broadcast host. He retired broadcast, broadcasting his last game on September 26 of 2019. I got to listen to him call the game live. And what I do remember, I remember his final speech on the radio before he took the field because they had like a Marty party for him where they gave him a lot of gifts. I remember he said some things that really was touching. He said that he finally gets to be home with his wife and he gets to spend some more time with his grandkids and his kids even though he said he wished he could see them more but he realized that being the um, since I read radio host for as long as he was he allowed to it allowed him to support them. That's always a catch twenty two with a career like that. You have to provide for the family, and sometimes you got to travel. And with the job that Marty had, he had to travel around the world, around the country, to broadcast his Reds baseball. And of course, I am a fan of baseball. I know not a lot of people aren't a fan of baseball. It can be a boring sport sometimes. But for a game that could be trite and stole, Marty Brenneman, he made things enlightening. He was um, very boisterous. He had a w wonderful melody to his voice. It was just great to listen to him. Very great vocals. He was very smart. He was an excellent journalist. Marty Brenneman was the best play-by-play -play guy in the history of baseball, in my opinion. And a lot of people here in Ohio would agree with me. He was the absolute best. And I have a list of some of his accolades that he accomplished while he was with the Cincinnati Reds. And of course, this is thanks to Google, so this is something I looked up on the interwebs. But yes, he began his career with the Cincinnati Reds in 1974. Of course, before that, he was with, he was with Virginia Tech College, calling sports for them for several years throughout his youth in his 20s. But yes, upon becoming the Reds announcer, his very first game, he called Hank Aaron's Record tying 714th career home run. And that was his very first major league game he called for the Reds. So that's really cool. He called Tom Seaver's only no hitter in 1978 when Seaver was a member of the Reds. He called Pete Rose's record breaking 4,192nd career base hit in 1985. That was one of the great moments in baseball history, and he was a voice for that. He called Ken Griffey Jr.'s 400th. 500th and 600th career home run when he was a member of the Cincinnati Reds throughout the first 10 years of the 2000s, early 2K, as they say. He left the team in 2009, I believe. And of course, he was one of my favorite players growing up. So having watched King Griffey Jr. play baseball and hearing Marty Bremen talk about it, it was a kid's dream come true, especially if you love baseball. Of course, he was a voice of the Reds during the Big Red Machine era of 1975 and 1976 when he won the World Series both those years. Of course, they also won the World Series in 1990. And he did a few cool things over the years before he retired. He called J.D. Bruce's walk-off home run to clinch the NL Central Divisional title back in 2010. He called Homer Bailey's no-hitters against the Pirates in 2012 and against the Giants in 2013. And his last notable call... He called no, Jake Arrieta's no-hitter against the Reds back in 2016. 
There was something that I discovered about him that I thought very fascinating because he lists all the um, notable things and controversies he got himself involved in. Of course, his longtime radio partner was Joe Nuxall, the old left-hander. One the, the, that was a legendary duel right there. Because not only was Bremen a legend, so was Nuxall. They were great to listen to growing up. They got into a really big controversy back in 1988. I want to talk about this. Brennan and Nuxall appeared before National League President Bart Giamatti at the NL office in New York City in regards to accusations that Brennan excited the crowd to cause a delay of game after an altercation between Reds manager Pete Rose and umpire Dave Pallone. After Rose was ejected from the game and Brennan criticized Pallone during the live radio broadcasts, Fans littered the field with debris, leading to the game delay. Brennerman had this to say regarding the incident. I still maintain we were right, Brennerman said. I'll never apologize for that. They accused us of inciting a riot. I don't think we did then, and I don't think we did now. So those are his thoughts. And, of course, you can, all, you can look up all the stuff Marty Brennerman did. He has a profile online because he was inducted into the Ford C. Frick Award which is a Hall of Famer for baseball broadcasters. And he has a whole big list of accomplishments if you ever want to learn more about him. Because I really could go all day, but I don't have all day for this podcast. He was one of the best. And the first time I ever listened to him was probably when the Reds won the World Series in 1990. I know my grandfather was a big fan of the Cincinnati Reds. That's how I got into baseball. Thanks to my grandfather. And, he, and Marty Brennan was just a pleasure to listen to. And one more thing I'll share about Marty Brennan during his final radio broadcast when he was talking. He said that he'll have a conversation with anybody. He said, have you ever seen him around Cincinnati, which he plans to live there the rest of his life? He said to stop by and say hello. He'll talk to you. Maybe we'll have a bowl of chili and have a good conversation. He seemed like a really nice guy. He just seemed like a... He had a, he was a he had a blue collar mentality, but he, he had a, the nicest jobs anyone could ever have in the broadcasting industry, and that's called Major League Baseball. And I'm sure his wallet is quite full, just like the other Major League Baseball players make millions. He made his share of money doing what he did, and that's amazing. That's what you call a great career. So here at Ohio is on fire. Of course, come for myself, someone that got to listen to him for a solid 30 years, pretty much. Almost most of my life. I usually present the award a certain way. An award that's not really an award. But to celebrate Marty, I'm going to do something a little different. So here it goes. And this one belongs to Marty Brenneman. Yeah. So round of applause. Marty Brenneman. To a great 46-year career. What have I learned over these past 200 episodes? I've learned that Skyline Chili is the best hot dog chili in the world and comes out of Cincinnati, Ohio. I've learned not to pop my peas anymore. That's something I did early in my career when I did this about 12 years ago now. And I also learned that people here in Ohio, they're very strong. They're a lot stronger than they look. Because there's a lot of tragedy that happens in Ohio. There's a lot of good things that happen, but a lot of crappy things that happen as well. And especially here in the Miami Valley, 
close to Dayton, Ohio, where I live. It was a very bad summer. We had the white supremacy attacks and them protesting, causing a stir. Then the tornado happened. And then, of course, this is the first time I've talked about since I've been on my, my vacation. But there was a mass shooting incident at the Oregon District. Killed nine innocent people. It was a very sad day. However, the way that Dayton has rebounded has been very amazing. And I see instances like this a lot. Because we sometimes get tornadoes throughout the area. Sometimes we have violence hit us. Because the uh, mass shooting, the mass violence that happened in Dayton, Ohio, it's not the only time that Dayton, Ohio has probably had mass killings happen. It's not the only time that's happened anywhere in Ohio. It happens way too much in our culture, unfortunately. People rebound. People want to have conversations. Of course, I, I do a show like this to have a conversation about why people do what they do. But I just want to cheer people up because I want to really want to focus on the good things in Ohio, which is why I mostly have entertainers, I have funny people, I have musicians, I have people who know a lot about their subject matter, whether it's video games or sports. So I focus on the fun things of Ohio. I focus on the good life of Ohio. And I hope to do that again for another 100 episodes, maybe 200 more, because I have made it to number 200. And at the very least, for as long as I keep doing these Ohio's on Fire podcasts, hope to make money. Because, yes, I am professional now. I've said this a few times. I, for the longest time, I couldn't make money. I hope to now the profit off this. And we're going to get in sponsors. I don't have any major sponsors yet. I do have friends of the show who do stuff around the area. You'll hear their ads. You'll hear some from Dane Music Scene. You heard that earlier in the um, episode. And I have a lot of friends who need help. They're in podcasting. They're a lot of good podcasts in the area. I hope to air their ads in the near future. So that'd be cool. Give me some content for the, for my episodes. So so have a good um. So just have good, having good partnerships with people in the area. That's something I'd like to work on. I want to have a strong relationship with the people of Ohio. Since this show is, I do this from Ohio, I, and I am proud of what I've done so far, and I can always grow stronger. There, It's a big world out there, and there's always room to grow, and that excites me because I want to know how far I can take this as long as I put on a good show, how many people I can connect with, and I think there's a lot more good people in Ohio than there are bad people in Ohio. So let's focus on that, these next many episodes I do of this podcast. And you know what, I want to go global with Ohio's on Fire. I think Ohio can be just a metaphor, because there's a lot of cool things within my region, like Illinois and Indiana. So I'm looking to expand. I hope to do that over these next many episodes. We Maybe we won't just talk about Ohio. We could talk about other good people and other good things. And I can grow myself as a broadcaster Maybe I can fire hire someone to work for me full-time, be my co-host, or be an engineer. I would love to have a staff, but i got to have the moolah to do that. i got to have the professional credibility to do that. And I'm on that journey, and for anyone that's listening to this episode, thank you for listening. I'm going to continue on my journey, but let's salute to 200 episodes.
And that is it. If you want to support me, I am at patreon.com slash Ohio is on fire. You can buy a tier and help support the show. Of course, we're in the month of October, so we got a lot of Halloween haunted houses in the area. And also, I want to give a shout out to the Potato Festival that's in Spring Valley, Ohio. It's a cool festival. And of course, it's not all the festivals do this, but they don't have hate symbols being sold at their vineyards. They do not do they do not allow that at the Potato Festival. So I like that. And they got some of the best potato salad in the world. They got some red beans and rice that are killer. So please go there. It's a good it's a good time for all you can listen to some country music and folk music. That's coming up, I believe, after you, when I release this podcast, that's gonna come that's coming up next weekend. So I'm gonna get it out of the way. And please look at the many festivals that's in the area in the state of Ohio. I'm going to try to catch a few before it gets too cold here. So please do that. So until the next episode of Ohio's on Fire, Sadbox, Marty Brenneman, Gold Star Chili, that's the way it is.